back in uh, April 2017, uh, Wayne and I decided that we would like to have a trip to the Flinders Ranges. Unfortunately, that trip was broken short because I fell and broke my wrist. And when we were at the Hawker Hospital having it uh, x-rayed, I happened to mention that I'd banged my head when I'd fallen. So um, a very young nurse said, what day is it? And before I could even start to think what day it was, an older, more mature nurse said, oh, you never ask grey nomads what day of the week it is. They never have any idea. And I thought, yes, that's probably true. But did you realise that today, the 17th of July, we are already more than halfway through 2022? And we are almost four weeks past the shortest day of the year. So really, time is flying past. Those of you who went to camp might remember that the speakers used Revelation chapters 1 to 4 as the basis for our talks. And when we looked at chapter 1, although we were given a magnificent picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus of that talk was he is coming again. He is coming again. And because he is coming again, we were challenged as we looked at chapters 2 and 3 to be faithful. Faithful and not leave our first love. Faithful under persecution, maybe even to death, faithful to holding to the truth of God's word and not accepting false teachers and false teachings, faithful so that when Jesus comes, he doesn't consider us as lukewarm and wants to spit us out of his mouth. And then when we got to chapter 4, we were shown a picture of heaven with God on the throne and the challenge that was given to us is, are we willing to be faithfully committed to Christ so that we can be praying for and witnessing to people around about us so that they will join with us in that crowd or that throng that is before the throne who are just praising God and declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now the Apostle Paul was a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was totally committed to being obedient to Christ. And as we look at the, these last chapters of Acts, I hope that I can bring out some of the ways and point you to some of the illustrations of how Jesus or how Paul was faithful to Christ. So let me just quickly pray for us. Father, I do thank you for your word, and I just want to commit this time to you now. Lord, you know where we are in our walk with you. You know what we need. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you will speak to our hearts. 
And so I lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm supposed to be uh, going through Acts chapters 21 all the way through to the end of the chapter, but I deliberately asked for these verses to be read. I know that Clifford spoke about them last week, but I felt that they do lead into what I want to say um, today. And I'll just read them to you again. They said, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. When I looked up the meaning of that word compelled, it means forced, pressured, impelled, driven, pressed. And the word that's used in the Greek um, is the word bound, and it can mean under obligation. So even though Paul knew that there was trouble coming, that there was danger ahead, he was so committed to Christ, he felt so under obligation to Christ that he was willing to be totally obedient to him. Even when the prophet Agabus physically illustrated to him what was going to happen, he still said, I need to go to Jerusalem. Now, it probably would be a good idea if you have the bi your Bibles open so that you can follow as we go through. And actually, you know, you should have your scriptures open every week just to check that what's being said is correct, that you're not being told things that are false from the pulpit. When we get to Acts chapter 21, verse 17, we find that Paul arrives in Jerusalem and he reports to the elders there uh, just what God has done through him amongst the Gentiles. And they praised God. But then they told Paul of some false accusations some, that some Jews were making about him and about what he was teaching. And so they suggested that he join with four men uh, in their purification rites and he should pay their expenses for them. And Paul agreed to do this. I believe because of his commitment to Christ, he did not want there to be anything that would be a hindrance to him being able to share the gospel with people. And so he wanted to just remove all of those barriers. And so if, this, uh, if he could pay these expenses, then he was willing to do it because it could open up the way for him to share with the Jews who were in Jerusalem. However, as we read on, we find that when seven days were over, um, some Jews from Asia saw him in the temple and they falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into a section of the, the temple that he, the Gentiles should not go in. They'd previously seen Paul with this man in the city and then they just assumed that this uh, Ephesian was in the temple with him. To use an expression which I don't know whether you've heard before, but we used to say two and two made five, and they, made, they jumped to the wrong conclusion. And I wonder whether there's a little bit of a lesson for us here. How often do we get two plus two equal five before we really know all the facts? Anyway, 
Verse 30 says that the whole city was aroused and the crowd sought to kill Paul, but he was rescued by the Roman commander. Remember, the Romans were in charge of Jerusalem at that particular time. And as I thought about that incident, I wondered what my reaction would be. Falsely accused, almost killed by an angry mob, and then rescued at the last moment. I suspect that my reaction probably would have been, get me out of here as quick as you can and as far as you can. I don't know about you, but I suspect that's what I probably would have done. But as we look at verses from chapter 21, verse 37, all the way through to chapter 22, verse 21, we see that Paul took the opportunity to share the gospel. Revealing his commit, this reveals his commitment to Christ and to the task that he had been given. And once again, we've seen it before, but once again we see he starts at a place of common ground. We're told that he had been accused of teaching things against the law of Moses and the temple. So when he addressed the crowd, he first spoke in Aramaic, which was the language that they understood, he told them about his early life, how he had been brought up in Jerusalem, how he'd even studied the law under Gamaliel, who was a very well-known and well-respected teacher. He testified how he had persecuted the church and how he had been present at the stoning of Stephen. But then he went on to say how he'd met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the crowd listened very carefully until that time. But when he said that he had been sent to the Gentiles, well, it just erupted again. And they were bent on killing him. But once again, he was rescued by uh, the Roman commander. And we see in verse 25 that he was going to be flogged, at which point that he pointed out that he was a Roman citizen. And this was uh, very... Uh, Shocking thing for the Roman commander because you were not supposed to flog a Roman citizen without um, him having been uh, accused, uh, gone to trial and found guilty. Now the next day, in Acts chapter 22 to verse and verse 30, all the way through to 23 verse 11, we find that Paul has to stand before the Sanhedrin. I personally find this a quite amusing. Um, section because the Sanhedrin was made up of about 70 men and they had Pharisees and they had Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in spirit world and angels but the Sadducees did not believe in either of those. So when Paul starts to address them he says I believe and, and the Pharisees believed in a resurrection and the Sadducees didn't. So Paul says I believe in the resurrection that's why I'm here and then there was just an all-out war between these two groups of people and he just sort of stood back and let them go to it. So that was it. That was one way out of it. But in the violence, the, the, the Roman governor took him, or the Roman uh, soldier took him out of it again. As we look at verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 11, I think there's a very interesting verse. It says, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. 
So even though the situation was not good, Paul was not alone. He, and God has promised us, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So no matter what we're going through, how bad it may be, how sad it may be, God is with us. He is with us. And I can tell you that is very, very true. I know that he is with us through the hard parts. He never leaves us. As we've gone through the book of Acts, we have seen over and over again the hatred that the Jews had for anybody who sought to um, preach of Christ. And we see it again because in Acts chapter 23, verses 12 onwards, we read of a plot being hatched by the Jews to kill Paul. But it was discovered. See, God has said, I'm going to take you to Rome. And so this plot was discovered. And as a result, Paul was sent under very heavy guard, over 200 people, to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was a town about 60 miles or 90 kilometres away. If you've ever been up to Port Wakefield, uh, that's about 97 k's. That's about the distance from Adelaide to Caesarea, to, to Port Wakefield is Jerusalem to Caesarea, and that's how far they had to go. When they got to Caesarea, Paul was to appear before the governor Felix. And the Jews, again, very, very persistent in trying to get, get to him. They accused him before the governor. As we look at verses, chapter 24, verses 24 to 26, we read, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that is enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And this continued for over two years. We're not told what specifically what they talked about, but those verses said that Paul talked about righteousness, or about faith in Jesus Christ, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. So I would very strongly suggest that Paul shared the gospel and things associated with the, a relationship with Christ, with Felix, over and over and over again. We also see that he did, that Paul, uh, this Felix was asking for a bribe, and Paul didn't submit to this. And I thought, how do we conduct ourselves in our daily life? Are we living in complete integrity? I mentioned before that Paul wanted there to be nothing that was a hindrance to him sharing the gospel. And if we, in our daily life, are not walking in integrity, if we are being dishonest, if our speech is not too good, if we are abusing our, uh, verbally abusing our employees or employers and different things like that, 
we are not setting a good example uh, to people around about us. So if we want to actually speak about the gospel, they're going to say, oh, she's just a hypocrite, or he's just a hypocrite. I'm not going to listen to what they say. So, you know, we do need to be very careful how we're living because how we live will either uh, give credence to the gospel or it will totally destroy the gospel. So we need to be very, very careful. Even people who do not claim to have any um, interest in God or religion, they seem to have uh, an expectation of how Christians should live. It may be an incorrect uh, expectation, but they still have an expectation. And so we need to ask ourselves, how am I living during my daily life? Am I so committed to Christ that everything I do is presenting a good picture of him and is doing that which will help people come to know him? When we turn to Acts chapter 25, we find that Felix was replaced by a man called Porcius Festus. And again, even though this is two years later, the Jews still tried to get to him so that they could kill him. But when Paul stood before Festus, he again refuted the charges that had been brought against him and he appealed to Caesar. In other words, he says, I want to go to Rome. And before he could be sent to Rome, Festus had to consult King Agrippa so they could work out what they wanted to write down as the accusations that were being brought against him. And as we read these verses, we find that again, Paul shared the gospel. He showed, or he told how he had met the Lord Jesus Christ how he had been faithful to the vision and how he had preached the gospel. And then even at the end of the chapter, he challenged King Agrippa as to his relationship. And King Agrippa found nothing that was deserving of death. But anyway, he said, well, he's appealed to Caesar. He wants to go to Rome. We will send him to Rome. Acts chapter 27 details the trip to Rome. Probably a lot of you already know this story, but on the way they encountered a storm that was so bad that the ship was destroyed. But as we're reading through this particular um, chapter, I find verses 23 to verse 25 interesting because these verses say, last night an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve stood before me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand the trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So this suggests to me that Paul was more concerned about the people on the ship than he was about himself, and I would suggest that he prayed for them. And God answered his prayer, and they were all rescued, and we're told that there were 276 of them who were actually saved. They made it ashore on the island of Malta. Now, Malta 
is a quite small island. It's in the Mediterranean. It is west of Cyprus and then a bit further west from Crete, and it's almost south of Italy. So this is where Malta was, and we, we are told that they were on the island of Malta for three years. And I again believe that Paul used this time to minister the gospel. First of all, he was bitten by a viper. Viper is apparently a very dangerous snake. And the people thought at first that he was, uh, he'd done something wrong and he would die. Then when he didn't die, they changed it to saying, oh, he must be a god. Now, there was a very similar situation back in Acts chapter 14 where uh, Paul and Barnabas were called gods. And in that chapter, we were told that they very strongly refuted that suggestion and they went on to share the gospel about the, or share the message about the true God. And I would think that this is what probably happened. Knowing what we've seen in Acts and what we see in Paul's letters, I would suggest that he, he took this opportunity to say, no, I'm not a God, but I can tell you about the one true God. And then later on we're told that he also healed the father of a chief official on the island. And as a result of that, a lot of sick people came to him and were healed. And once again, I know it's often dangerous to make statements based on silence, but based on what we have seen in previous um, chapters and other things, I would suggest that Paul used that opportunity again to share the gospel with the people of Malta. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at something and I saw an article uh, which mentioned that even today, Malta is a very strongly Catholic uh, country or island. And I wonder whether that goes all the way back to the time that Paul was there. After the end of three months, they sailed to Rome. And we're told that when they got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself uh, with a soldier to guard him. Shortly after his arrival there, he called the Jews together and he shared the gospel with, him, with them. And as previously, some accepted and some didn't accept. The book of Acts closes with these words. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many scholars believe that Paul was actually released from this imprisonment and was able to go back out and continue his ministry for several years. This time in prison was not wasted because it says he preached the, the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that it was during this time that he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon and Philippians and possibly other letters which have not been preserved. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that, brothers, sorry, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And I was thinking, I wonder what the guards thought. Maybe some mornings as they looked at the roster, there would be some there and thought, oh no, I've got that nut of Paul. All he talks about is this man Jesus who was dead and is alive again. But there may have been some who said, ah, I've got this man Paul. I can find out more about the Lord Jesus. But he still shared the gospel with them. When we read those letters, we find that he mentions praying for them daily. So I would suggest that he spent a lot of time praying for the church and for people and for the advancement of the gospel. But Paul's focus was totally on being committed to serving the Lord. I think he took every opportunity that he possibly could to do that. So we basically come to the end of the book of Acts. As we think back over the whole of the book, I think, I hope we can see the commitment of all the disciples, not just Paul, but all of them. And even though we haven't talked about it a lot, I think we can see that God was very faithful. In that first session, we were told that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was the key verse. We saw God promise that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we have seen as we've gone through the book of Acts how that has, uh, did indeed come about. Those disciples were obedient to God, to Christ. And tradition says that John was actually the only one who was not persecuted, who did not die, um, or he was the only one who died a natural death. At one time before Christ's crucifixion, he said to his disciples, who do you say I am? Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I tell you, Peter, oh, and Jesus said to him, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God has faithfully watched over his word and his church, and he has raised up men who have been committed to him to share the gospel so that today we have had that opportunity. And there are still people around the world who are willing to die for their faith. When Paul was talking with King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he said this, he was speaking about his meeting of the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Then I said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up 
and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When I look at scripture, I see that there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of darkness, where Satan rules. There's the kingdom of light, where Christ rules. So the question is, which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you in? If you are sure, absolutely sure, that you are in the kingdom of light, then you can rejoice. But how committed are you to sharing the gospel with people around about you? Are you just content with saying, I'm saved, and that's it. We have a responsibility to be sharing the gospel so that our friends, our family, neighbours, workmates, etc. can join with us before that throne of grace that we are told about in Revelation chapter 4. If you are not sure... You only think perhaps you are in the kingdom of light. Can I suggest that you talk to someone today to make sure of where you are? Because if you're not sure, how can you confidently share with other people? You can't. You need to be absolutely sure of where you stand. But if you have never, ever accepted Christ as the sacrifice for your sins, then you are still in that kingdom of darkness. And the consequences of that really and truly are horrendous. So please, don't let another day go by without talking to someone and taking that step of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into that kingdom of light. Because, remember, Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. He's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as a king to judge. If you know Jesus, that will be, you will probably be with him when he comes. But if you don't know Jesus, as I said, the situation for you is horrendous.
please consider your position before Christ. Paul was totally committed to sharing the gospel. His whole focus was that people would hear that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has paid the price for our full redemption and that salvation is found in him. Not in keeping the works of the law, not in just coming to church, not in reading your Bible, but purely by faith in Christ. So where are you? And how committed are you? Let's just pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you are able to take it and minister it to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you will strive with us so that each one of us seeks to grow in our relationship with you and be obedient to you and be used by you for your honour and for your glory in the days ahead. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.